Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Pleasure to be back here on the mic with all of you uh, as we basically do two episodes a week now. It just seems like it uh, becomes quite the norm. Um, I don't know how long it'll go for. Uh, eventually, I would love to do more episodes. Uh, in fact, I'd love to do an episode a day, uh, kind of like a, a radio show, if you would, like uh, talking about various things, taking questions and answers and all that. I'd love to grow this platform. I really would to that kind of an extent. You know, whether we do an hour show, uh, every day, Monday through Friday, and you get the opportunity to call in. Um, those are things that I'm just thinking about. You know, I, I, I got a lot of thoughts rolling around in the old noggin. Um, finishing up seminary soon, so I want to make sure that uh, I, I put all my attention and focus to those last few pieces of that puzzle. And then I want to really uh, focus on the growing of Undying Light Ministries and all of the things that I'm working on with that on top of all the things we're doing for my church. So all of that goes together, and we will see where it leads us. So uh, this is a Tuesday episode, so there's not a ton of banter uh, at the beginning. If you listen to my Friday shows, there's always about 10 or so minutes of banter. I try to keep it uh, kind of light sometimes. Other weeks it seems to be a little bit more. Um, but uh, this on the Tuesday shows, we get right into the meat of the of the conversation, and we go until we you know, exhaust the time. Some of these episodes in this baptismal series have been, you know, in the 20 minute range and some have been a little bit over 30. And then we've got uh, two interviews, one with flame that has aired and one with Brian, uh, pastor Brian Wolfmuller, uh, that were close or over an hour each. So that is, uh, kind of the, you know, the, the direction essentially that we take with these shows. We just go until we hammer out all the content, but we do want to keep it within 30 minutes. Um, as respectable time for you and and hopefully it's easy to just pick up and listen on a quick drive to or from work or running errands and you're not uh, constantly having to stop and then go back and rewind because you're 45 minutes in you don't remember what I said 20 minutes earlier you know all that I, I 
we've been down that road with our plus shows and we were doing those for a long time and it just seemed like great, but there's better ways to do this. And so, you know, we can, you know, work through the material and never exhaust scripture, which is a beautiful thing. So if you have made it this far in the series on baptism, if you've made it past the Q and a episode we did last week, if you made it past, uh, all of the, the series, this is a summary show. And so we're going to look again, kind of a, what we've talked about in the last, you know, eight or 10 weeks that we've done these episodes and we are going to kind of summarize and try to compact all that down and make it an easy and understandable episode for you. Uh, I hope that this is uh, easy and understandable because it is a complex topic and we, we've not strayed away from that view. Baptism is not an easy to understand topic. In fact, within the sacraments, the Lord's Supper is going to need to be even more difficult to understand when we start getting into that in the next couple of weeks. Uh, so we have talked, uh, an episode on the sacraments and ordinances. That episode is essentially the beginning episode for this whole series on both baptism and the Lord's supper. And then we moved into scripture on the next couple of episodes. And then we looked at some of the early church fathers. Uh, and then we looked at the Lutheran position and we went through the book of Concord and, uh, and then we did some, then, then we did all the other views of baptism. And then we did a Q and a session of baptism. And now we're going to try to summarize it all up and put a nice little bow on it for you. Uh, and I, and I hope that you've enjoyed these conversations through this short series. Uh, we had flame on a few weeks back and him and I really worked through the doctrine of baptism. And, uh, and I really hope that was an enjoyable interview it was I love talking with him. He's so knowledgeable and insightful and the compassion and love that he has for the people of God is, is amazing because you can, you can see it and hear it in his voice. Uh, and, and it just, you know, shouts to the crowds that he truly cares for people, but more so we, we really want to, um, kind of get rid of some of the nuances and misconceptions surrounding the Lutheran view of baptism uh, because it's either it sounds too uh, Catholicy, or it sounds you know like it's just a, a work, or we're adding to the gospel, or we're you know we're truncating you know faith in Christ alone and saying no, you can do this and that too. But I want a couple. I want to clear up a few things before we dig into the concept of baptism from the Lutheran eyes and. Uh, I really want to hammer some of these views and, and more so because these are some of the things that I've seen in just the coming weeks and the previous weeks here on the show uh, as I've been talking with essentially people with other differing views. Uh, we start with Matthew 28 and uh, the Great Commission. This is where Jesus tells his disciples, go, uh, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore into the nations and to all the nations baptizing and teaching them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. When we when we talk about this, Jesus says to make disciples by baptizing and teaching them all that he has taught them. And so the Lutheran perspective on this is that we are, the call, the Great Commission, is to go into the world, to preach the gospel, to baptize, and then to instruct. You can't make disciples 
before you baptize and teach them. But you have to preach the gospel first. So it's gospel first, baptism, then teaching and making them disciples. What Jesus is saying is go make disciples. And then he says, here's how you do it. You baptize and you teach them. And so that's why baptism is the first moment of grace that we receive as Christians if we baptize our children. This is God's grace being poured out on the child and it's done in front of all people. It's done essentially against the will of the child because they can't argue yes or no for it. So we uh, uh, dig into this understanding of that passage. And, and it's funny because some people will try to argue and say, no, you must make a proclamation of faith. Well, Jesus doesn't say anywhere in Matthew 28 that you have to be uh, of a certain age or you have to be of a certain region or you have to be uh, making such a such proclamation because again it comes back to this understanding that it, it, baptism is either either our work or it's God's work if we say it's our work then we can essentially ignore a lot of passages in scripture and we can go to this to the next statement that these individuals will provide where uh, baptism is our work. It's an outward demonstration of an inward change. And we talked about that on the episode with flame. Nowhere in scripture is that statement given. Uh, nowhere in scripture is that uh, statement given uh, in concordance with baptism. We, we have none of that. And so baptism is not an outward demonstration of an inward change. It's not biblical. And it's funny because when you, when you make that statement to, you know, for instance, like a Baptist or somebody, uh, they kind of, they get angry because you're, you're, you're saying, Hey, your belief isn't biblical. There is, there's no, there's no means to which you can articulate this with scripture, but they will again, go to the extent to try and do somersaults and maneuvering around you know, the passages to try to make it seem or say what they want it to say. Now I've said on the show a number of times, I have got great friends who are Baptist, who are Presbyterian, who are non-denominational and they have a very different understanding of baptism. And that is wonderful and great. And all I'm doing is trying to articulate one, the Lutheran view and two, um, trying to challenge and encourage these individuals to listen to another perspective. Um, and so I, I have great conversations with people who, you know, I consider brothers and sisters. And then we have these confrontations on social media with other people who, uh, frankly would just want to do nothing but pick an argument with you. And they could care less about listening to another view on baptism. They're, they're set in their ways. And that really shows brightly when you, uh, when they articulate these things, especially when they're, uh, articulating, uh, unbiblical, uh, positions. So we've talked a number of times in, uh, this series on the, the scripture to, uh, support the view of baptism. So I want to just take these next handful of minutes and I want to summarize the Lutheran view. We're going to quickly work through it. Here's the Augsburg Confession. Uh, this is Article 9 on baptism. 
under the Articles of Faith and Doctrine. This is what they wrote. It is taught among us that baptism is necessary and that grace is offered through it. Children, too, should be baptized for in baptism. They are committed to God and become acceptable to him. On this account, the Anabaptists who teach that infant baptism is not right are rejected. It's very simple, very straightforward. Those are the three statements they make in the Augsburg Confession. They expand those in the formula of Concord and the apology of the Augsburg Confession. But we come to understand why these are there. And so we're going to read the three statements here uh, as demonstrated, expanded essentially upon here. So we're going to look at the apology. This These three statements are articulating back to the first three that we just read. So statement one, they approve the ninth article when we confess that baptism is necessary for salvation. Children are to be baptized. The baptism of children is not useless, but it is necessary and efficacious for salvation. Among us, the gospel is taught purely and diligently. We have therefore received this fruit from it by God's favor that no Anabaptists have arisen in our churches since our people have been armed by God's word against the wicked and sedacious fraction of these robbers. Among these many errors of the Anabaptists we condemn is also the assertion that baptism of children is useless. It is most certain that the promise of salvation also applies to the little children. It does not apply to those who are outside of Christ's church where there are, there's neither word nor sacrament because Christ regenerates through word and sacrament. Therefore, it is necessary to baptize children so that the promise of salvation might be applied to them according to Christ's command in Matthew 28, verse 19. Baptize all nations. Just as there is salvation offered to all, so baptism is offered to all men, women, children, and infants. Therefore, it clearly follows that infants should be baptized because salvation is offered with baptism. Secondly, since it is evident that God approves the baptism of little children, the Anabaptists teach world uh, wickedly when they condemn the baptism of the little children, that God does approve the baptism of the little children is shown by the fact that God gives the Holy Spirit to those who are baptized this way. First, if this is the, if this baptism was useless. The Holy Spirit would be given to none. None would be saved, and ultimately there would be no church. The point by itself can effectually confirm good and godly minds against the ungodly and frantical opinions of the Anabaptist. That's out of the Apology of the Augsburg. And again, we, we start to unpack these and they're in greater uh, demonstration in the formula, which we've covered earlier on the show. We're not going to get into it today due to its complexities, but I want to now turn to Luther's small catechism and I want to read through these statements. They're very uh, straight and uh, straightforward. There's no um, beating around the bush here. And, and we're going to use this kind of as our jumping off point to go through the rest. Now, Luther does expand this in his large catechism. Um, there's uh, essentially kind of get down here to uh, there's 86 statements that he makes on baptism uh, between regular baptism and infant baptism again we talked about those previous episodes as we dug into this context further i'm doing this simply as a summary today and so i will uh, spare you all the reading of that so you can actually get the book of concord online for free if you want to read through luther's large catechism you can go do so 
and read through all 86 statements in the large catechism around what Luther actually taught when he came to baptism. So here's Luther's small catechism. It's broken into four sections. First, what is baptism? Answer, baptism is not merely water, but it is water used according to God's command and connected with God's word. What is God's word? Answer, as recorded in Matthew 28, 19, our Lord Jesus Christ said, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Second, what gifts or benefits does baptism bestow? Answer, it affects forgiveness of sins, delivers from death and the devil, and grants eternal salvation to all who believe, as the word and the promise of God declare. What is the word and promise of God? Answer, as recorded in Mark 16, 16, our Lord Christ said, He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Third, how can water produce such great effects? Answer, it is not the water that produces the effects, but it is the word of God connected with the water and our faith, which relies on the word of God connected with the water. For without the word of God, the water is merely water and no baptism. But when connected with the word of God, it is baptism. That is a gracious water and life, a washing of regeneration in the Holy Spirit. As St. Paul writes in Titus chapter 3, verses 5 through 8, he saved us by washing and regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit, which he poured out among us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that we might be justified by his grace and become heirs of the eternal hope. The saying is sure. Four, what does baptism mean? What does baptizing with water signify? Answer. It signifies that the old Adam in us, together with all of our sins and evil lusts, should be drowned by daily sorrow and repentance and be put to death, so that the new man shall come forth daily and rise up, cleansed and righteous to live forever in God's presence. Where is this written? Answer. In Romans six, chap- uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 4, St. Paul wrote, We are buried, therefore, with him in a baptism into death, so that Christ is raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, that we might walk in the newness of life. All right, that's Luther's small catechism on baptism. And so I want to utilize these four statements, and we are going to articulate, hopefully, through kind of some of the text in the New Testament, uh, and hopefully answering maybe even some of the critics that I've come across in my time. Um, interestingly enough, I'm going to start it off with this. I did a reel a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and it simply was, and I think I've said it on the show before. It just was like, uh, talking about, uh, say something that you'll get a lot of hate for. And I just pointed up and I wrote baptism now saves. And I had over 250 people unfollow me because of that statement. In fact, I had people block me. I had people call me an apostate. I had people call me heretic. I was getting nasty DMs. I had to shut down the comments on it. And it was it was a crazy, crazy ordeal. And honestly, I thought it was hysterical because it thins out those who do not care to hear an alternating view of baptism. Now, look, you know, I again, I know great minds of people, people who are brilliant individuals well-studied individuals and they spend their whole lives studying scripture and they just believe a different view of baptism. And that is fine, but we can have great conversations around it and we can articulate things. We have a different view of interpretation. That's what it boils down to. Their understanding and view of interpretation is different than mine. But if you do not desire to listen to an alternating view of baptism, then you're already setting yourself up for uh, hostile engagements and 
and, and really you're, you're doing yourself a massive disservice. And so let us, um, let us dig into this concept here. I want to start with uh, some passages and we're going to kind of hopefully work through uh, what we get here in, um, in the rest of scripture. And so is we begin with John chapter three, and uh, this is a conversation between uh, Jesus and Nicodemus. And in this, Jesus makes this bold statement that in order to see the kingdom of heaven, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, well, what do you mean born again? Do I have to enter into my mother a second time and be born? And Jesus says, no, you need to be born of water and spirit. And so this is kind of the first inclination that baptism is, is, is heavily encouraged. In fact, it's necessary as Luther and Philip Melanchthon and the writers of the Augsburg confession note. And here's what, here's kind of what, what gets me <laughs> going, uh, is when, when we get to this concept of, uh, of baptism, we, we want to shun away because the, the teaching that has been passed down to us, uh, can't possibly mean that baptism has any sort of significance. How could water have such value, have such great effects? Again, it's not just the waters Luther states in the small catechism It is water paired with God's word. And so it is exceptionally important for us to, to just take a step back and say, okay, let's get into the meat of the, of the verses in a minute, but let us look and understand how God reaches people. One, he uses means that is the most basic and fundamental tenet to our understanding of scripture. God uses means to reach individuals. How does he do so? Romans 10 verses 10 through 17. He sends a preacher to preach the word. God is using a person, a preacher to preach his word. The preaching is the means you sitting there and listening and it going into your ear is another means. Your ear is the gateway to you having salvation in Christ. So God uses means there. To not go into the baptismal discussion, I think it's really, again, prevalent for us to understand that when Jesus is out healing, he uses means to do so. In one such case, he picks up mud, spits into the mud, and then wipes it into a guy's eyes who was blind and gives him eyesight. Christ is using his spit in the mud to be a means by which salvation is granted to this individual. And that does not mean that you have the ability to go and spit in the mud and put it into blind people's eyes and make them be able to see. This is the son of God doing this. And he's demonstrating to us that there are ways that we, that that he comes to us, that it's not just the word being preached because that's just one way. And, and, and here's the, the other thing too. If, if faith was by Christ alone without means, if faith was in Christ alone by the preaching of his word, then Jesus would never have used means. He would have never used any elements of, of the world or of himself to save people. Uh, baptism would be not necessary. The Lord's supper would not be necessary, but because we serve a God that provides for us and comes to us via means, you know, different measures and different elements and, in a different method to reach us. 
And if we acknowledge that, then it doesn't take us away that Christ still saves us through faith alone in him. Because again, our, the, the scripture on baptism lines up to this. For those who have been baptized and believe, they will be saved. But those who do not believe will be condemned. We don't assert as Lutherans that just because you're baptized, you are automatically saved regardless of what you do in your life. In fact, all you are doing is you, we are inviting the person and we are giving them the promise. It's the same thing I do in Sunday morning services. I preach the promise to my congregation that their sins are forgiven. If you take that promise and accept it and believe in it, then you will be saved. It does not matter about your works. It doesn't matter what you think in your heart, what sins you've committed. In fact, the only sin that's not forgivable is the sin of disbelief. That is why Mark says in his final few verses, those who believe will be baptized and those, but those who do not will be condemned. Now the, the people like to argue, well, Mark 16 was, you know, from 10 and on was added after by, you know, later down the road by a scribe and they try to recite something they found on national discovery channel or whatever to support their, their argument and, 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 and partially right. Yes. Matthew 16, the back end of it was not in the earliest manuscripts, but we find it, uh, recorded just a little bit down the road and then it's used and attached to every other manuscript we have. Now I'm not going to get into a whole episode on contextual criticism because we can have a wonderful episode on that. And it might be something we do down the road on these types of verses that we are challenged with. But if we take Mark 16, 16 and we look back to John chapter three with Jesus and Nicodemus and we see where Again, there's argument, well, did Jesus really say verses 16 through 21, or was it John writing and filling in you know, some commentary? Either end of it, these all are the words of Christ. It is all breathed out. It is all accepted by canon. But there's a correlation between Mark 16, 16 and John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Both state those who believe will be saved. Those who do not believe will be condemned. Mark simply adds those that he who believes and is baptized will be saved. And so the emphasis is being placed on baptism. This is post-resurrection, and we can tie this as well into Matthew 28 with the Great Commission. Those who are baptized will be saved. Go into the world, make disciples by baptizing them and teaching them all that we have all that you have been taught. So then we go into the book of Acts and we have uh, right out of the gate, we have the, the sermon at Pentecost and in Acts chapter two and pre Peter's preaching this wonderful sermon. And we have a small sh- snippet of it. It's obviously not a three minute sermon. It was probably, you know, considerably much lo- larger, you know, it could have been 20 minutes, 30 minutes. We don't know, but we have a small snippet that Peter drives forward and concludes it with, you know, these statements. And then, the crowd cries out, what shall we do next? And Peter says, be baptized for the forgiveness of sin. Now, I left something out of that because people want to argue. Well, you have to repent first because Peter says repent and then be baptized. No, Peter doesn't say repent, then be baptized. He says repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sin. So let's understand this. From the Lutheran perspective, repentance is not an act we do as, as humans. Uh, repentance is an act that God does in us and through us through the Holy Spirit. So repentance isn't our 
act, but what Peter's saying is is making a, a statement. You must be repented, and this is the fundamental truth here. Repentance is the turning away from disbelief to belief. It is not, and, and, and you can apply it to uh, turning away from a particular sin, repenting of you know an addiction or anger issue or pornography or alcoholism or you know whatever it is. You can repent from those things and turn away from them. But the greater concept that Peter is using here is repenting from unbelief. These individuals, Peter, Peter makes this statement: "You killed Jesus. It was you, because you didn't believe him, and because you didn't believe him, you now have to repent and believe in him." So he's saying, "Believe." Be baptized. That is the gospel. Be baptized. And then what does he say? He says, for the forgiveness of sin. So baptism already tied to the forgiveness of sin. So when we say baptism regenerates, what does regeneration mean? It means that we have our sins forgiven. It means that we are washed anew. We are made new. We are no longer the old us. We have been brought together in in perfect union with Christ. And we can now stand before God clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So Peter gives us this illustration right here in Acts chapter two, that baptism is tied to the forgiveness of sins. Also, Peter goes on to say that this promise of baptism, the forgiveness of sins is given to you, to the crowd for whoever was there, the thousands of people, all the men, most likely probably some women and children there too. But Peter makes a, makes a very bold statement. He goes, this promise is given for you and your children. He doesn't just say you. And then when your children reach a certain age, no, he says you and your children. And so it's vital for us to understand that the promise from the early church understood that we are to baptize our infants as you know, in, in the Christian families, we baptize our infants and welcome them into the Christian life. We see that demonstrated in the accounts of Lydia, accounts of Cornelius, uh, and anybody else in the book of Acts that were baptized in whole households. Uh, The fun argument is that they say, well, infants may not be included in that because it doesn't explicitly say. Well, generally, when it says whole household, that would include all infants, children, slaves, servants, workers, anybody who lived and worked in the house or was associated with the the husband, the father, the leader of the house, they were all baptized. Does not matter. When the father makes a, tra- a change of religion, the whole house follows. Also, Peter tells us that right here explicitly in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, 39, that this promises for your children. He doesn't say teenagers. He doesn't say you know, young adults. He says children, and children is often referred to as young children. Infants, toddlers, young children, not teenagers. Because in this time period, being an adult, you are generally treated as an adult at a younger age than you are even today. So this promise is given to you and your children. This also correlates back to all of the times that Jesus says to his disciples and rebukes his disciples from preventing the children to come to him. So now we move on to... Romans chapter six, and we have the concept of being baptized into a death like Christ. This is a correlation to what Peter says here at the death of Christ, our sins were forgiven. So when we are baptized as Paul writes here, 
we are now baptized into his death. That means in the death of Christ, our sins were forgiven. Peter says, be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Paul says, you were baptized into a death like Christ. Therefore, your sins are forgiven. I mean, it's just, I get people want to try and make allegorical arguments against these verses, but they are literally telling us bluntly what happens in baptism. Jumping over to Ephesians chapter 5, we have a nice little verse. In verse 25, it tells us that Jesus uh, washes and regenerates his church. While it's Jesus' work in the washing and cleansing of his church. What does that mean? That those who are baptized in the church, it is not work of you. It is the work of Christ. Plain and simple. Baptism is not your work. It is not your outward sign of obedience. It is the work of Christ to you, for you. Then we go to 1 Peter 3.21. We have Peter correlating um, with the flood of Noah. And he says, just like the floods of Noah saved Noah and his seven family members, now baptism saves you. What is salvation? The forgiveness of sins. What does forgiveness of sins equate to? Regeneration. What does baptism do? Forgives you of your sins. It saves you. It regenerates you. Plain and simple. There's no, there's no hula hoops and jumping around here. This is exactly what it means. And so when we as Lutherans come together and baptize our children, we give them the promise that their sins have been forgiven in the name of Christ. And then it is the parent's job to catechize them. Going all the way back to Matthew 28, it circles all the way back. Go into the world, make disciples by baptizing them and teaching them. In fact, we baptized my daughter um, four years ago. I was blessed immensely to baptize my son, myself, this past October. And so now as a pastor and a father, my duty is to catechize my children. My daughter, who is four now, by the time she was three, could recite the entire Lord's Prayer. In fact, she's got like three or four uh, prayers already memorized. It's amazing. She's got the ta- the common table prayer, the Lord's Prayer, and then she's got um, another nighttime prayer that her and my wife would re- uh, recite together. And in fact, it's really what's, what's really fascinating is the argument that children can't have faith. My daughter may not understand it. But we were watching Veggie Tales the other day, and she looked at me and she goes, "Daddy, God loves me." And I, I almost cried. I almost cried because it's like, oh my goodness, yes, absolutely, He does. I mean, those things are so impactful, and and for us to hold back baptism from from a child from from a professing Christian is 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 detrimental to him. And so my challenge. If you have not been baptized and yet you believe, go be baptized. Why wait? Flame has a whole song in that. Why wait? Be baptized. Go and get baptized for the forgiveness of your sins that you will ignore, that you can have the assurance that Christ is forgiving you of your sins. That doesn't mean that baptism is the only saving means. It means that baptism is one means. It doesn't mean that those who are all of those who are baptized will be saved. No, Mark says all who believe and are baptized will be saved. The, the unbelief is the condemning sin. Funny enough, it, he doesn't say those who do not believe and murder and commit adultery and cheat and lie, steal, will be condemned. No, he says those who do not believe because the disbelief leads you to those sins. Disbelief is the most fundamental basic sin 
It's the sin Adam and Eve committed in the garden. They did not believe God's word. They put it to a challenge, but they believed Satan's word. So when Paul, when, when Mark says this, when Paul says this, when Peter says this, when Jesus says this, be baptized, you will be saved for those who believe. That is what we teach. We train and teach our kids. And here they may become like the, uh, the, the, the prodigal son and wander off for a period of time. I did so. I was baptized as an infant, didn't go to the church. I got confirmed and married in the Lutheran church, left the church at like age 20, did not come back to it for many years. And then finally, miraculously, God just drags me back and, and says, you know what? You're going to be a pastor now. And this is where I'm at today. So it's okay if you go through periods after your baptism. Now, this is a topic we're going to be covering pretty commonly on upcoming episodes. We're going to be talking and answering questions because I want this topic, one, to not just fade from our minds, but I want to continue to reassure and answer and help supply people and give them assurance that their first baptism was Paul notes in first Corinthians. We are, we believe in one God and one baptism. It means if you were baptized, even if you were baptized in a Roman Catholic church, if you were baptized in the name of the father, son, and the Holy spirit, it is Christ's work to you, not the, the, the priest or the bishop or the, the, the father pouring water over you and making some sort of, you know, mystical means. In fact, of the few things that Luther and the would, would agree with, with the Roman Catholics in terms of the sacraments was baptism because they held such a high view of baptism. It was one of the few things the Roman Catholic church got right. And you can send me all the hate mail you want on it, but this is how Luther built his doctrine of baptism was from them, from the early church, from the scripture. And so if you've been baptized in the triune name, your baptism is valid. And we talked a little bit about this on the a couple previous episodes and answering some questions in the Q and a, we talked about it with flame for those who do not believe they will not be saved for those who do believe will be saved. So that is the premise to baptism, but to have an invalid baptism would mean uh, that you were not baptized into the name of the father, son, and the Holy spirit, or God's word was not used or water was not used. Baptism must be God's water or God's word paired with the water preached to you. It does not matter whether that priest or pastor or person baptizing you is a righteous and good man because they're not, they're a sinner. It does not matter whether they apostate apostate from the church down the road and, and turn to their unbelief that does not nullify your baptism because it is not the work of man. It is not the work of the priest or pastor or father or bishop. It is the work of Christ using means to reach you. So again, we can talk about this and we're going to continue to work through the Lutheran faith and we're going to really hammer because baptism is at its core, the most fundamental tenet to the Lutheran faith. So you'll hear me talking and probably regurgitating various views in the coming weeks and months, but I want to continue to draw you to the assurance that in your baptism, you've been saved. So that is the series on baptism thus far. We will probably do more content and answer questions and do various episodes here and there down the road. Uh, next week, we will start to dig into uh, the Lord's Supper, and we will be unpacking that 
uh, going forward. So thanks for tuning in this long, guys. Have a great week. God bless. We'll be back on Friday with another episode. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.